want to share something today that speaks about another thing that's hidden. Hidden things, the silent things, but the powerful things. And this is called the hidden seed of Logos. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, Peter says, Since you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, through the living and abiding Logos, word of God, that is the Logos. It's called a seed here, an incorruptible seed. And our new creation lives are the expression of the Logos seed of life implanted within us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's always bringing us into being. God is always working to bring us into being of what that seed is producing. And on our part, we are always coming into being of what that seed has as the design for our life. I mean, a seed ends up looking like something. We are coming into being. That's our part. Our faith. We attend with our mind to what is happening in the hidden seed of spiritual life within. Our outer senses are always drawn to what is happening on the outside. And that's the whole world. It looks for busyness, events, colour. And there's nothing wrong with, with that. It's wonderful. But that can prevent us from taking the time to attend to what is really happening on the inside. It is hidden. And you'd think it's so hidden that I don't even know if it's there. Well, the Holy Spirit is there saying, yep, I'm here. That seed is growing. And there's a witness of the Spirit. And then His work is made manifest. Not just our works, but His. And that's the process. Logos is a big idea. That was the word that spoke creation into being. It designed and ordered everything in the universe, starting with all that there be light. And in John 1, the first verse, John says, In the beginning was the word, the Logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him. That is inside of you, the Logos. We just read it. You've been born again. An incorruptible seed through that abiding Logos of God. Now as a Pharisee, Paul used to have what he thought was the best and biggest idea for his life. Logos is God's big idea. Paul thought he had the best idea, living under God's law. But then he was walloped by the greatest idea that ever existed, the Logos in the form of Jesus. Jesus the Word. Now before Paul received a revelation 
from Jesus on the road to Damascus about who he was and what he was to do. He was an enemy of Christianity. He had a very stable and strongly approved religion and everybody he knew validated him and he felt at home in his world. Everything was right the way it should be. The way he was brought up, his conscience told him, this is all good, get those Christians. When he was converted, he was perceived not as an enemy of Christianity or an enemy of Christ, but as an enemy of Judaism. But they weren't seen as enemies by him. He was seen as an enemy by them. His whole personal world turned upside down. It became reordered. And that's what the Logos does in our lives. It just turns things upside down. Very powerful. Paul met the Logos, Jesus, who was born from above, who joined humanity to God for all time. That's what Jesus did. That's where the Logos seed came from. John 1, again, where it said that Jesus was the Word and he created all things. In John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. Jesus Christ, the Logos, now is sustaining and upholding all things. The word universe in the Greek is P-A-S, pa. It simply means everything. Universe, everything. One big thing. Jesus upholds all things by the Logos. That's what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. That's hard to grasp the wonder of that magnificent creative power that is within us. It's him. But that power is able to order and reorder our whole life. But we need to consciously cooperate with God in this process. It's a transformation. The transformation is not from good to bad, from terrible to right and proper. It's not some kind of, well, I'll straighten myself out. It is from natural to spiritual. That's the process. And the Logos unfolds to us who God is through the Holy Spirit. And as we get to know who God is, he shows us who we are as that new creation. And we learn to live in that sense of being okay in our own skin with God. Loved, given mercy and growing to be more like him. That's the word, that's the word logos at work. It creates, it shapes, it forms, it transforms, and it displays. And that's in us. Now, the history of the word logos. It had been around in the Greek culture for hundreds of years, that word, before Jesus came to be on the earth. And it was the one 
overarching thought in ancient Greek philosophy that expressed the wonder and design of an ordered universe. They thought this through. They said, everything seems to belong in the right place and do what it should do. Who did that? Rather, they said, what did that? <laughs> they, were more, they were more interested philosophically in what did that. And they knew that there was a force. And when John wrote in John chapter 1, when he wrote that word, that the Logos that created the world was actually Jesus, who was God, and that he had become a human being to live amongst us. Everyone who read those words with a, a response of faith would be able to get a profound understanding of who Jesus really was as God, joining himself to his own creation. Now, many, of course, would resist that. But there were many who, by the work of the Holy Spirit, when Paul spoke about these things to the Greeks, the philosophers, and he told them about, we live in him, we live and move and have our being, many of them thought, well, this is the unknown God that we've been talking about. It was more of a what than a who, but now it became a who, a person, Jesus. And many said, yes, we believe. Others said, we'll hear more about this later. It's too much of a challenge to your own well-formed ideas of what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false. That's why it's a challenge to us in the natural man, which doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. So how do we get to understand the things of the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work whenever these sorts of things are spoken. <laughs> Going prod, prod, nudge, nudge. Truth, truth, light, light. It was a Greek belief that Logos is just some form of intentional idea or it's a principle. And it can be seen everywhere, in the trees, in the, the earth, the animals and in humans. The Logos, for the Greeks, made up all of that somehow in some kind of order together. And this meant for the Greeks that Logos was determining who is who and who is placed where and what is the ideal way to live life. And the Greeks gave themselves to that as a principle, mind you. They just saw this was a, an ideal way to live. Get a hold of the idea of this principle and do things that look right. But they had to, they had to think up what they believed was the right thing to do according to their culture. And they had to do that from the natural person to do that. But they thought hard about it and they had a word for it and they respected that word and many of them thought, and well, they believed. If they lived by what their conscience told them, this Logos was doing in principle and order and they were taught what was right and what was wrong as far as their culture was concerned, they thought, well, we'll do this and we're accountable. Our lives are accountable to that truth. Now, that's a pretty disciplined way to live. But it wasn't the full picture. So Logos had become the big idea for the Greek culture. And because of the fact that the Greek culture had spread everywhere in the known world, it became a big idea in the known world. And we can now see the 
wonderful plan of God in preparing the then known world for hundreds of years with an idea, with a word that would totally reorder your whole life and then to have Jesus come and for John to say, this is the word, this is the Logos. The wonder of God to prepare the world with that thought, that idea. So when Paul was spoken to by the Logos, Jesus, which totally reordered his life and belief system and his personal world, he began to live each day alongside Jesus as a friend, as a disciple, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring the DNA of that seed into the unfolding in his faith and his hope to the, the destiny and purpose of his life. This is it. Now that's a conversion. He thought he had the big idea under the law and he did what he was supposed to do. But now what he was supposed to do is something totally different. And that's what happened. So I want to talk about this conscience and the Logos. The moral conscience and the Logos. We'll look at the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter's tradition gave him a moral conscience of what was right and wrong, according to the Jewish religion. He lived alongside Jesus, the Logos. Paul had to wait till after Jesus died and resurrected and appeared to him on the road to Damascus. But for three years or so, Peter lived with the Logos, with Jesus, and he knew him and he loved him as a friend. But it took Peter a long time to actually let go of his former belief system of the Jewish religion because that gave him a moral conscience of what was right and wrong. And a conscientious person, that is one that lives by their conscience, will do what they're told. We will do what we were told to do as we grew up if we believe that the authority that was telling us about that had the right idea, the right slant on life, we would stick to that. And then if God comes along and says, I'm going to change the picture for you, we've got to work out, what do I do now? See, Peter's Jewish tradition was not fully aligned with what the Holy Spirit was saying, according to the Logos, the word of truth in the Spirit. And the, the New Testament scriptures point out the difference between the two different types of conscience. You can read it in Hebrews chapter 9, and 10 and 6, it's in the notes. But what these scriptures do is they show us that there's a, a natural moral conscience and there is a spiritual conscience that's aligned with the mind and heart of Jesus the Logos. Two consciences. And one person working out what's right and what's wrong. For a conscientious person, this takes a little bit of thinking through and letting go and taking on new things. For a person who's not conscientious, they don't give a hoot, perhaps. They'll do what they like and make it up as they go along, perhaps. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience 
from bondage to the morality of human tradition, that is dead works. Works, things that we do, we think are worth doing. They're good, they're productive, they're valuable, and that's fine for a conscientious person. And the Bible even says that God will judge people who, before he came, that didn't have the law, but if they did what they felt was right and tried to do it for the right reasons, he'll take that into account. But there is a way that God says, I will now bring you into my heart and mind of what it is for you to do. And you will know what it is to live in perfect freedom in the most confusing of situations. He will purify our conscience from bondage to the morality of human tradition into the life-giving service towards the living God. We can now work in partnership with him in life. That's been done, waiting to be received. So our personal conscience about what is right and wrong has broadly been formed by our religion, our families, our culture, and it guides our values and decisions. But our natural or personal conscience can only inform us of the right and wrong of that. And in many areas, and this is what I found in my life, I was calling right wrong and calling wrong right. But I didn't know that. I had to get a change of mind. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter had an interesting experience. The Apostle Peter was shown a vision by God of all kinds of animals. Remember this in the book of Acts. Animals that were forbidden for the Jews to eat. And then God told Peter, eat those animals as food. Peter refused to eat what he believed to be unclean food. That's all right for Gentiles, but not fit for Jews. So Peter told God that God was wrong. And he said, not so, Lord. It's actually a contradiction to say not so and Lord in the same sentence. And then God had to say to Peter, don't you call unclean what I've cleansed? Now, there's more to this statement about cleaning what is unclean than just about eating animals. God was telling Peter that a conscience was being cleansed. He was telling Peter he was inviting all of humanity. They were the Gentiles that Peter was supposed to go and talk to. And he said, no, can't eat their food, can't go into their house. But he was telling Peter that all of humanity, including their food, was now okay. And they had been invited into the kingdom of God alongside his people Israel as his children and brothers and sisters to his son Jesus. Peter thinks, oh no, what have you done? This isn't right. God says, well, I'll tell you what's right. In the Bible, the natural conscience of human tradition is called an evil conscience. Now, it's not evil in the sense that it wants to do gross immorality. It is evil in the sense of being harmful. The word is poneros. It means it can do harm. And that's in Hebrews chapter 10. That we've been cleansed from an evil or a harmful conscience. Now, what's the harm? Well, with Peter, 
Peter had judged all of humanity outside of Judaism as being unclean and not worthy to eat with or to even enter their homes. That is harmful. That is a sin against God's love for his creation, for his people, for his family. Now, he had to set aside Israel and not let them mix with anybody, but now, what a change. What a thing to have to, to change in your mind. But God was saying, everything's now clean. I'm going to have to cleanse your conscience to get a new understanding of what's right and wrong because this logos, this seed, is reordering everything now according to Jesus, who's now become part of humanity for everybody. We're breaking all the boundaries now of religion. So Peter had to have his harmful conscience gradually transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit who brings our conscience into line with God's heart of Logos, truth and love. Now, when Jesus was talking to the disciples before he left to go to be with his father in John 15, he said that, oh no, John 16, he'd been talking in John 14, 15 and 16 about what was going to come. And in, in John 16, he told them he would go to be with his father and he would send the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. Well, didn't we have the law? Didn't Israel have all the laws and the ordinance? And wasn't that how you judge sin? No, this is going to be a new thing with a new kind of conscience with the Holy Spirit doing it. And he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit into the world. Not just the church, to the whole world to convince the world of sin. So I mean, all of humanity after Jesus has the Holy Spirit working upon them in their spirit, which is where the conscience resides. And I want you to just think of everybody on the entire planet has the Holy Spirit working upon them in their spirit where the conscience is, bringing an awareness of the love and forgiveness of God for their sins and turning their hearts, this is repentance, towards God and away from darkness. Like a plant turning towards the sunshine. You ever seen plants and you see them on the shady side of the house? They're kind of going like that to try and get a bit of sunshine. <laughs> They're trying to get out of the darkness. And that's what God's trying to do with our hearts. See, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in the conscience. Now, when we respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit has is, is, is kind of done the work, and the Holy Spirit, as far as a person who doesn't know about the Holy Spirit, doesn't know much about Jesus, they might know a bit about Jesus, might have had it in Sunday school, they sense there's something working in them, and it's working in all of humanity to pull them into Logos. Because Jesus has come, and the implanted Logos is there, but it needs to be awakened. And germinated. So they're being pulled away from darkness. And when we re respond to that movement of the Spirit, when we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, and then we actively receive the Holy Spirit, that's not just having him working on our conscience, tugging us away from darkness. This is now embracing the Holy Spirit. We then have an abiding of our spirit with the Holy Spirit. And there's a pathway now forward of transformation from a natural life 
into a spiritual life. When Paul spoke to the Ephesian people, when he got there, there were people that rushed up and said to him, oh, great, you know, we believe in Jesus. And whatever he must have said to them, or however he discerned their behaviour or the things that they were saying to him, he said, what was your baptism like? And I said, yeah, John's baptism, it was good. He said, right, that's okay. But he said, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? I said, we've never heard of him. Who's the Holy Spirit? And once they received the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was an abiding person within them, not just the one, not just the Holy Spirit sent into the world to grapple with the natural conscience. That's a, that's a different relationship with the Holy Spirit than just prod, prod, hey, that's wrong. Hey, come here into the light. Hey, that's darkness. I think I'm getting to your heart because that's all there in the spirit in the heart. That's happening. And then when that work is done, there's an invitation. Receive the Holy Spirit. So they're two different things. Holy Spirit of conviction in all the world and the Holy Spirit of abiding in those that believe and receive. And that abiding is a new journey. Now Paul, or rather than Peter, who lived with Jesus for that time on the earth and became a friend and had to gradually, it took him quite a while to come out of the, the illegalism, Paul was just literally exploded out of his natural and religious moral conscience under the law. Now he'd been that hostile enemy of Jesus until he met him on the road because Paul had been hunting down the Jewish Christians, putting them in jail and sentencing them to death, thinking that this was the right thing to do because they were blasphemers against God and he was there to serve God with his moral religious conscience, which was okay until Jesus came a new thing was happening in humanity in fact Paul when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus had just come the last thing he'd done big event was stoning Stephen the martyr to death he got that finished and then he set off on the road to Damascus to find more Christians. But the last thing that Stephen said to the Jewish elders, including Paul, that were around, stoning him to death, before he died was, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, you obstinate and hard-hearted murderers of those who were sent to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, Acts chapter 7. Now, what would be ringing in Paul's ears on his way to Damascus? Of course, Paul would have admired Stephen. There was something in that man that shone. And he was a good Jew, Stephen. But he'd found the Messiah. I reckon those words were still ringing in Paul's ears and he's confronted by Jesus on the road. And he's spoken to by Jesus, the Logos. And he'd been getting pricked in his conscience. The Holy Spirit saying, did you hear what Stephen said? Bang, bang. Prod, prod. And, and he was kicking against that. And Jesus knew what was happening in Paul's conscience. And he said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the bricks. It's getting to you, Paul, isn't it? I'm setting you up for a big change. That's in Acts chapter 9. Paul got it. 
first thing he said was, what must I do now, Lord? In other words, where to from here? You know, that's a good question. I don't think Paul said that just once. That became probably something he got used to saying most days. And I think it's something that we get used to saying. What do I do now? Oh, didn't I send you a fact of all, all the list of all the things that as a Christian you've got to do? Yeah, I've read all of that, but this, I don't know what to do. That's <laughs> of course, because there is no facts. There's the Holy Spirit who doesn't legislate. He arbitrates in every situation and he'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. And you don't have to go to somebody and say, give me the rules. It is now your conscience that having been cleansed from your own idea of what's right and wrong, the things that you want to do, even then, and they're good things you want to do, but there's a way to do it, this Holy Spirit way to do it. Paul then began to live as a close friend of Jesus. Now, all of humanity has a corruptible seed of life from the DNA of our parents. Can't blame them, because they got it from their parents. And back there, there's Adam. But since Jesus... Everybody has an incorruptible seed of life from the spiritual DNA of God implanted by Jesus the Logos through the Holy Spirit. We're encouraged to humbly reach in our hearts and minds as humanity to embrace that seed that's been planted. We're now alive with a new seed. Romans chapter 5, it speaks about why one man, Adam, sin and death entered into all men, into humanity. And by one act of obedience, life and harmony with God entered into all humanity by one man, Jesus. That's extraordinary, isn't it? All men had Adam. And now, and that's where the corrupt seed is. I'm not saying the corrupt seed all it wants to do is bad things. It wants to do good things. A conscience is a conscience. It's just that you can't put your cultural filter on it and tell God he's wrong. There's now a new thing for all of humanity that the Holy Spirit will bring into each situation. That is another DNA. James 1.21 says, Receive with meekness the implanted Logos. That's everybody. That is able to save your soul. That restores and reorders your mind, your emotions and your will. That's salvation happening. This is the seed that's in us all. And it's always working in secret. It's a hidden seed bringing us into the reality of that life that's there. It's only by faith that that seed gets germinated into growth and fruit bearing. We don't ignore it. We don't go digging it up to find out what's happening. The Bible says in James as well about the husband and the, the, the farmer. He plants the seed and he, he plants it properly in the right soil and he knows the weather conditions and he's got patience. He waits. There are certain seasons of growth and fruit bearing and everything else. And that becomes the hope, the assurance that, yep, that seed's doing its job. 
that's something to just stack away in your own soul. The assurance that seed's doing its job. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that seed working now. I'm being brought into being of the person that I was destined, designed to be. What a thought! I wonder what I'm like. <laughs> but I'm also being turned away from the darkness. Oh Lord, I'm finding darkness in there. Yeah, of course you are. We've all got darkness in it, but we're, we're all turning to the light like a plant. And God says. I've forgiven the darkness, I'm not holding that against you. Your sins and your trespasses, I'm, I remember no more. And I'll have mercy on you getting out of whack with it sometimes and thinking you're in alignment, but you're not. I'll have mercy on that because what I'm interested in is you and me together getting on with growing into being and doing the same things and desiring the same things and receiving the fruit in our lives that he wants us to have. Okay, so Satan planted into the minds of all humanity a seed of a lie that we're all alienated in our minds from the life of God in Adam. That's, that, that happened. It was a seed sown by Satan. God's planted the seed of oneness with himself into the life of all humanity. By one man, that seed was planted by Satan. And by the other man, the life-giving seed was planted by Jesus, his death and resurrection. He said, if, if this seed, this is Jesus, the Logos, he said, if this seed doesn't go into the ground and die, it will just abide alone. There'll be one Christian in the universe forever. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. And that's, that's you and me. Oh, that's anybody who can understand what's happening with that conscience and respond in faith and say, Lord, and you know the best sentence to say to the Lord? I find it's the easiest way to get through in repentance is to say, Lord, I'm wrong, you're right. Thank you. <laughs> that has settled the matter. And you're in. What must I do now, Lord? <laughs> and he'll tell you. But if you say, I'm sick of this, I'm going to blame them and I'm going to shame them, and they shouldn't have done that. Okay, we've got that shame thing. It's been weaponized in the culture in which we live now. To bring pain and hurt to people, to make them conscious of the fact that they're not liked anymore and they don't belong. And Jesus is just the opposite. Hang on, I'll cover, I'll cover your shame. You do belong. But we've got both of those seeds within us, and we've got to choose which one we're going to cultivate and live from. It is a choice, but you need to be aware of it. It's there. And be ready to change your mind. That spiritual seed will bring order and oneness with God and the renewing of our mind so that we start working together with God. Adam and Eve hid with shame, covered themselves with leaves and as I said, today the culture is weaponising that shame to punish people, separate them from one another and from God. We can be reordered given peace and love and joy and have our souls saved. It's, it's a saving of the soul as it's happening. So we then start to work together with God to release to others the goodness of God that we've received. And that's pretty much straightforward because that is what love is and it is inclusive. It will discern things that are wrong it is not going to punish people 
because they're wrong. It just recognises that there is something to invite them into, and I'll close with that. So the Jesus Word of Logos is our blueprint. It's going to live in us and bring understanding and truth and wisdom into any and every situation we face. And as we just still our hearts and minds, just give attention to that one big idea of the life-giving, life-changing seed within us, the Holy Spirit then inspires us to act. What must I do now? He inspires us to act with virtue and courage. How many times have you felt, this is too hard, I can't do it? The Holy Spirit says, yes, you can. I'm with you. I don't mind if you say you're weak because I know I didn't make you strong, I made you weak, but I want you to trust that I'll be your strength. I'm with you in this. And then the joy and the peace, which becomes a real feeling, a disposition, I feel peace now. I should be worried about this. This is not like me. <laughs> not worrying. Where did this love come from? Deep within my heart. Now that's what the world's waiting for. Everybody on the planet knows that there's something better that should be happening in their lives. There's something missing. The Holy Spirit's doing his work. But it is an odd wonder that the Christmas event of the birth of Jesus, the Word made flesh, is celebrated around the world every year by people who don't understand or believe in the cosmic truth of the fact that what actually happened was the Logos, the Word, the seed that created the universe became human and lived amongst us and he got born. And so we celebrate his birthday. We have that day to celebrate the birth of the Logos becoming humanity. And that's just one more welcome for Jesus to be believed in by all of humanity. It's just a welcome. It's for all of you. But one of the best welcomes is our lives of love and grace to others. Our conscience is no longer harmful. There are things we need to avoid in order to not be harmed. That's different. Stay out of the way of harm. Deliver us from evil. And put yourself in the place of harm. But where you can be a welcome, your life of love and grace is the greatest welcome for those who are desperately waiting for something better to happen in their lives. So let's gratefully receive that seed today. Invest in it, cultivate it, so that it grows and bears the fruit of the blessing of God's love and care that will go out and be that blessing for all those in our world, in Jesus' name. Give them the good news. They're forgiven. They're accepted. They're loved. They're being turned to see something that's the best thing they could have happen to them.